Hello and welcome to the Birds and Braves podcast. I'm Luke Winstall. Thank you for tuning in to today's show and thank you for your support of the show. This is episode number 22 of the Birds and Braves podcast. I'll be recapping the game between the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles. And also I'll be giving you some analysis towards the end of the show and I'll take a look forward into the offseason. To start off with the scoring recap, in the first quarter, Atlanta struck first with a Matt Bryant 33-yard field goal. Atlanta led 3-0 after an 11-play 59-yard drive. That would be all the scoring in the first quarter. In the second, Philadelphia would go on top with a LeGarrette Blunt one-yard touchdown run. They would fail to convert the point after attempt. Atlanta would come back and score a touchdown, answering Philadelphia with a Devonta Freeman six-yard reception from Matt Ryan. That made it 10-6 Atlanta leading by four. That would be the Falcons' last score of the day. And as time expired at the half, Philadelphia kicked a field goal. Jake Elliott hit a 53-yarder to draw it to a 10-9 lead, a one-point deficit for Philadelphia heading into the half. In the second half, it would be all Eagles. Atlanta failed to score. In the final two quarters of the game, Jake Elliott hit a 37-yard field goal to make it 12-10, Philadelphia with a two-point edge. In the fourth and final quarter, Jake Elliott hit a 21-yard field goal. That drew the score to 15-10. That would go final. Philadelphia would win by five. And of course, after the NFC Championship between the Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles, only allowing 15 points to that Nick Foles-led offense a week before they exploded against Minnesota really looks better now that we look back at that game. Now for a few stats, in terms of total yardage, Atlanta had 281, Philadelphia 334. In terms of possession, Philadelphia led with 32 minutes and 6 seconds, Atlanta had 27 minutes and 54 seconds. The Falcons did win the turnover battle, they were plus 2 in turnover margin, but they could not win the game, as their offense just didn't look good. In terms of passing leaders, Matt Ryan was 22 for 36 for 210 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked three times and had a QBR of 22.5 according to ESPN and a rating of 86.6. For Philadelphia, they were led by Nick Foles who outplayed Matt Ryan. He was 23 for 30 passing for 246 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked once, had a QBR of 47.4 and a rating of 100.1, according to ESPN. And now in terms of rushing leaders, for Atlanta, Tevin Coleman, 10 carries for 79 yards. That was 7.9 yards per carry. No touchdowns on the ground for Atlanta. Coleman's longest run of the day would go for 23 yards. His partner in the backfield, Devonta Freeman, did not have near as successful of a day. He had 10 carries for 7 yards. That's .7 yards per carry. Freeman's longest carry was three yards. It was later revealed after the game that Freeman had a knee injury, and I'm sure that hampered him. But for Atlanta to give him 10 carries on a knee injury might not have been the best idea, especially since he was extremely inefficient with .7 yards per carry. For Philadelphia, they were led in terms of rushing by Jay Ajayi, who toted the rock 15 times for 54 yards. He went for 3.6 yards per carry. No touchdowns, but his longest run was 11 yards. Now for receiving leaders, Julio Jones led Atlanta, 9 catches for 101 yards. That's 11.2 yards per reception. His longest catch was 21 yards. 
he was targeted 16 total times. And the Robin to the Batman for Atlanta, Mohamed Sanu, three catches for 50 yards or a shade under 17 yards per reception. His longest catch was 24 yards. He was targeted five times. He caught three of those five targets. Devonta Freeman may not have brought much value out of the backfield as a rusher, but as a receiver, five catches on five targets for 26 yards receiving. His longest catch was 13 yards, and he did catch a touchdown. And for Philadelphia, their receiving leader, Alshon Jeffrey, four catches on five targets for 61 yards. It's about 15 yards per reception. His longest was 21. And now for Pro Football Focus's top five grades. The top graded player for the Atlanta Falcons was Jake Matthews with an 83.0 overall grade. They said it wasn't a great game for the offensive line as a whole, but Matthews turned in a solid performance. He allowed only two pressures on the day. Both of them were hurries. He led the line with an 84.8 run blocking grade. And Jake Matthews now ends the season ranked number 14 among all offensive tackles with a career high 80.9 overall grade. Matthews had a really good season for Atlanta. That's something you'll have to build on going forward as one of the rocks alongside Alex Mack of that offensive line. The second highest graded player for Atlanta, Grady Jarrett with an 82.0 overall grade. He was one of the few players for Atlanta defensively that had a good outing in the Falcons' loss. Atlanta's young interior defender was unblockable. He's been like that really all season. He's just been absolutely unstoppable in the run game. And he also picked up a quarterback hit as a pass rusher. One note there on the negative side, he had a penalty called on him at the end of the game. It was very costly. It put the Eagles in an easier situation to pick up a first down that would seal the game. They picked up that first down that sealed the game. So that was really the only knock on Jarrett from his outing against Philadelphia. For Tevin Coleman, I talked about him statistically racking up the yardage. Coleman and Freeman each carried the ball 10 times, I mentioned that, and Coleman averaged 7.2 more yards per carry than his teammate Devonta Freeman. One fascinating note on Coleman is that he earned 47 of his 79 yards after contact, according to Pro Football Focus. He forced a couple of missed tackles and earned at least 5 yards on 7 of his 10 attempts. Coleman's continuing to improve as a young running back in the NFL. He finishes the season ranked number 30 among halfbacks with a 75.1 overall grade. Another defensive player who had a good night for Atlanta, Ricardo Allen, had an 80.8 overall grade. And a young guy, a rookie, Takaris McKinley, had a 77.2 overall grade. Pro Football Focus said the stage did not appear to be too big for the edge defender Tack McKinley in his first career playoff game. The rookie edge defender made some plays in the run game, however, he was mainly on the field to rush the passer and get to the quarterback. He did not disappoint there. McKinley led Atlanta's pass rush. He had three total pressures. He had a sack and two quarterback hurries on only 17 pass rushing snaps. Now, the player who did get the game ball from pro football focus, not on the Atlanta side. It was on the Philadelphia defensive line that dominated all night long. Fletcher Cox had an incredible game an 84.2 overall grade, and a 29.4 run stop percentage. And now just really an overview, some thoughts on the game. Atlanta was coming off of a win against the stellar Los Angeles Rams team. They had a high-flying offense. Atlanta's defense really shut them down. They did about as good a job as anybody did against LA all season long. And Atlanta came in as the number six seed. They were playing the number one seed. 
Every time that matchup has happened in the NFL, the one seed has been favored. This time, for the first time ever, a six seed was favored. Atlanta came into the game, depending on who you ask or where you look, somewhere around a 2.5 to 3-point favorite. Atlanta fought, and they battled hard, and they gave the NFC's number one seed a really, really good test. Atlanta had a chance to win it at the end of the game. I'm sure all of you, especially the Falcons fans, have heard about it. You've talked about it. But at the end of the game, Atlanta's got a play where they're looking to score. It's fourth down. They've got to get the touchdown. They're down five. Sarkeesian calls the play with Derek Coleman split out, and he isolates half the field. It doesn't seem like a great play, and the Eagles seem to anticipate it. Judging from the post-game interview and a couple of the players from Philadelphia that said, yeah, I knew the play. I knew it was coming. And Atlanta fans aren't happy about that. I'm not happy about that play call either. But at this point, Sarkeesian's not going to get fired. Dan Quinn has openly told the media he doesn't think it's right to blame one guy for the offense not being as good as it was last year under Shanahan. And I agree with that. I think it's really the smart decision. I know it's the fan reaction and the knee-jerk reaction to say, fire Sarkeesian, I am completely off the boat. But Dan Quinn and the Falcons franchise are making the right decision to keep Sarkeesian and give him another year. Now, year number two will be a big year for Sarkeesian, just like it was for Shanahan. Shanahan showed out, he balled out, and earned himself a head coaching job for Sarkeesian. I don't know if he could do the same. I don't know if a head coaching job would be ahead of him. But if he could show out and have a great year like Shanahan did in year number two, that would be really big for the Atlanta Falcons. And if he does have a much better year in his second year with Atlanta, that could mean the Falcons are at least in the NFC Championship and at best in the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl because they have the talent, they have the personnel and the experience in place to do so. And another thought on the game, the defense did its part. I was really pleased with what the defense did, especially now looking back seeing what the Philadelphia offense did to a nice Minnesota defense that had playmakers at every level. That really shows you how well Atlanta's defense did in that game. But I can't say the same for the offense. They underperformed again, and they really seem to lack an identity this season. On the offensive line, the Eagles were just dominant. In terms of the battle in the trenches, the Eagles dominated. Their defensive line destroyed Atlanta's offensive line, especially at certain points in the game. And Atlanta's offensive line needs to improve. They're pretty good. They did a nice job. They didn't allow many sacks this season, so they were good in that category. But I think they drastically need to improve the guard play. I'm fine with Schweitzer right now, but I think he's better served as a quality backup. And when I say quality backup, I mean he could be a really high-quality backup in the NFL. Almost similar to Ty Sombrello, where he's a top-notch backup that's almost a fringe starter on certain teams in the league. And on the other side, Andy Levitri may be gone because of his contract and his cap hit, but I think Atlanta will find a way to restructure and keep him because you don't want to be getting another starter at guard where you lose Chester, replace him, and now losing Levitri and replacing him. That would be tough for Atlanta, especially for a team that doesn't have as much cap space as they usually do. But on that note, I think offensive guard definitely needs to be addressed in the draft. I think Atlanta needs to slap a first or a second round draft pick on that position unless the defensive line falls apart, which is possible with multiple guys potentially being cap casualties and a few others 
like Dontari Poe that may not get re-signed as their free agents. So that could be a really tough situation, but if Atlanta can get their defensive line in at least a good place, I think they've got to spend one of their top two picks on the offensive guard position. I think it worse to give some competition to Wes Schweitzer, and also don't forget fourth round pick from last year, Sean Harlow, and then Ben Garland could be brought back as well into that mix. And then that could be looking really interesting. That could be a big training camp battle at the offensive guard spot, but I think that's what Atlanta needs. They have to solidify those inside positions on the line. And for Atlanta, I mentioned they lacked an identity. Last year, they had a lot of big plays. They were a big play offense. This year, not nearly as many under Sarkeesian. It seemed like they were more conservative offensively. Some of that has to do with play calling. Some of it has to do with execution. Some of it may have to do with some massive drops like Julio Jones against Carolina dropping that long pass in the end zone in the first meeting between Atlanta and the Panthers. But it really seemed like that was one of the biggest differences, at least in my opinion, from last year to this year. Not necessarily the offensive coordinator and not necessarily certain players. I think it was really the lack of big plays and also on the negative side as well. Those drops really killed a lot of drives and a lot of possessions where Atlanta could have scored. Now to flip over to the defensive side, I think Atlanta is one or two playmakers away. They're likely going to lose Dontari Poe unless they can work some wonders with the cap. It looks like they'll lose at least one of their defensive ends or edge defenders. They're going to need to either replace those guys or be creative with the cap and find a way to sign them. And one thing I've noticed, Thomas Dimitrov, Atlanta Falcons general manager, has done a pretty nice job, especially finding skill players and finding some defensive players, especially recently drafting on the defensive side of the ball. He's done an excellent job working with Quinn. But one spot where I've noticed he's not quite as good, especially the past several years back in the 2008 to probably 2012-2013 range, wasn't great at finding offensive and also defensive linemen through the draft. Now, Grady Jarrett was a steal, but outside of that, drafting on the defensive line, you've got Beasley and McKinley, so that's been all right. But offensively is really where the problem has been in terms of Dimitrov in the draft. If you think about it, he's got Jake Matthews. But the other guys, not quite as much. You get Alex Mack, who's your other best offensive lineman through free agency, Andy Levitri through a trade. You get Wes Schweitzer late in the draft, but I don't know if he's a long-term guy. Atlanta has got to find somebody on the offensive line in the draft that can be a starter. Maybe that's getting a kid out of Georgia and Isaiah Wynn. Maybe it's trying somebody else. But in that back end of the draft where Atlanta lies from that 25 to 32 pick range, sometimes you will get some top interior offensive linemen to fall to you because they're not necessarily the hottest prospects at the top of the first round. So Atlanta is in a good position to get an interior offensive lineman. Also, they're in a good spot to get an interior defensive lineman, maybe a guy like Vita Vea. He's somebody that I've heard linked to the Falcons as well. He's a very good inside defender. He's a rock against the run, so he would be a good replacement for Poe. But I think best case scenario for Atlanta, they have to bring back Dontari Poe. They've got to get creative and figure out something there. Draft a guard. And then you work from there. Maybe it's getting a tight end in the top three rounds, top four rounds of the draft. Maybe it's addressing another position. But looking forward, this offseason is going to be very interesting. I'm going to be releasing multiple shows as we go along. Just because Atlanta is a stacked team, they have a few holes to fill. 
I think they're just one or two playmakers away from that defense that Dan Quinn came to build in Atlanta. And of course, that defense did take a big step up from last year. I think now they have to replace and maybe retool on the defensive side a little bit to keep that talent level up so then the defense can take another step forward. They are top 10. I think they finish number eight. This defense can be top five, maybe top three, especially under the good coaching of Dan Quinn. And of course, the defensive coordinator, Marquand Manuel, did an awesome job on that defensive side of the ball as well. He deserves a ton of credit for that big leap forward. And speaking of coaches, the biggest thing I'm looking for from the entire staff is to learn from their mistakes, especially for Steve Sarkeesian. And I'm looking for the coaching staff to take another step forward as a whole. And of course, the guy that's been most under fire for Atlanta, Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator. I think in order for him to keep his job, he's got to step it up in year two. I mentioned it earlier. He's got to do something similar, maybe not quite to the magnitude of what Shanahan did in 2016. He's going to need to do something fairly close where it's a noticeable step forward. Everyone can tell that this offense improved. And then that would provide him, first off, some job security, and second off, likely a lot of wins. If you think back to Shanahan in year number one under him, Atlanta, 8-8, eight and eight, missed the playoffs. Year number two, we all know the story, made it to the Super Bowl with a record-breaking offense. For Steve Sarkeesian, he already started out better than Shanahan did. Now you could argue he had more talent and better talent than Shanahan did in his first year, but Sarkeesian took Atlanta not just to the playoffs, but got them a win in the first round. They made it to the second round, and I think now the next step forward offensively is helping that defense along and holding up their end of the bargain so this team can be where they should be, a top two, top three seed in the conference championship. And Atlanta should be making it to the Super Bowl with this amount of talent. It's just all about getting the personnel back and taking a step forward in terms of the talent level and then also getting the coaching and the play calling to come along with that as well. And for Atlanta, I mentioned the Super Bowl. The window's not closed yet, but it is beginning to close. Windows don't last very long in the NFL. It opened last season. Now this season's over. I think Atlanta has two or three more years because then you've got that 2016 draft class that's all coming up in their contract years when you've got Keanu Neal and Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett who will be demanding big money. And then you've also got some good guys in there like Devondre Campbell, Brian Poole. Wes Schweitzer was also in that class. Those are all guys that you want to re-sign if you're Atlanta. They will likely not have the money to do that, especially if it's true that Thomas Dimitrov's number one priority at this moment is to extend Matt Ryan. That would be something like a $130 to $140 million contract for Matt Ryan if that deal gets done this offseason. That would be somewhere around Matt Stafford money, Kirk Cousins money if he gets signed to a long-term contract. And that's going to take up a lot of Atlanta's cap. Now, they know they'll be solidified at that quarterback position, the most important one on the team. But for the Falcons, that will take such a cap hit. It'll make it hard to re-sign all of those guys. I think Atlanta's probably got two years, maybe three years left. They have to keep drafting well to keep the pipeline flowing. But the window is starting to close, and the key cogs, Matt Ryan and Alex Mack on offense, are starting to get a little bit older. And I'm thinking right now, as we're approaching this offseason, and as I'm closing out this podcast, I want to see a sense of urgency and a win-now mentality from the Falcons as they address their needs this offseason. And now that'll do it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in to the Birds and Braves podcast. I'm Luke Winstall, and I appreciate your support. 
Please be sure to follow the podcast on social media at Birds Braves Pod. You can email the Birds and Braves podcast if you have any comments or any suggestions at birdsandbravespodcast.gmail.com. Also, we are on the internet at birdsandbraves.podbean.com and on YouTube at the Birds and Braves podcast channel. Please like, subscribe, and support the show. Thank you.